This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, prophesies of the coming of Messiah and his work in the church. Read verses 27 through 40. Jeremiah 31, verse 27. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill of Gerob and shall compass about to Goath. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields unto the brook of Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. We read that far in God's holy word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 21. Lord's Day 21, you can find that on page 12 in the 
back at the Psalter, Lord's Day 21, and we consider especially this morning question and answer 56 of Lord's Day 21. Question and answer 56. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine or the gospel of the forgiveness of sins is a doctrine oft repeated in, in the Scriptures and in the Reformed Confessions. Again and again, therefore, we hear that gospel preached and that doctrine explained in this church. The forgiveness of sins. And that is good. That is necessary. It's necessary because as we sang already this morning, sin battles against us hard. Every day and every week, we face the temptations of life and we fall into sin. And therefore, coming to church on Sunday, we need to hear that Gospel again. The Gospel of the forgiveness of sins because of Jesus Christ. We need to hear it and it is good because the Gospel of forgiveness is attacked. It's not the only doctrine that's attacked in the church of Jesus Christ, but it is the heart of the Gospel that is attacked again and again throughout the ages. Forgiveness of sins freely given because of Jesus Christ alone. That doctrine is despised by the world and church world. We must be reminded of it and be warned against the errors that attack this doctrine. And what a wonderful opportunity to hear about the forgiveness of sins again at the occasion of baptism. Baptism. Baptism is a sacrament, a sign, and a seal that shows covenant with us and with our children. And there are many covenant blessings, more than forgiveness, but forgiveness is indeed prominent as one of the covenant blessings that we see displayed at baptism. The washing away of our sins is the same as the forgiveness of those sins. Remember, as I mentioned in the prayer, that this sacrament that we saw, that we witnessed this morning, is not only for the child or for the specific family that brought that child, but each one of us as believers ought to be looking at that sacrament of baptism and thinking, thinking in particular this morning about the forgiveness of my sin. The Spirit uses both the Word as it is read and preached and the sacrament that we may experience this forgiveness of sins. As we consider the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation of forgiveness, I remind you of the context that the Heidelberg Catechism is in. Two points about that context. I remind you that the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us about forgiveness in the context of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Apostles' Creed is divided into three sections, and we are in the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, or the Apostles' Creed, 
And the Catechism is explaining that third section of the Apostles' Creed on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Often when we think about the forgiveness of sins, we think about the second person of the Trinity. And that's proper because He is the basis of the forgiveness of sins. We consider that in the second point this morning. However, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is involved when we talk about the forgiveness of sins. For the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that takes the forgiveness which Jesus Christ has earned for us and applies it to our individual hearts. It's the Spirit's work. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the context that the Catechism explains the forgiveness of sins here. Don't forget that. Secondly, about the context, the Catechism is teaching us about the church. Christ by His Spirit gathers a church. The last two sermons about, or in the Catechism have been about the church. The one holy Catholic church which Christ by His Spirit gathers from all nations, all places, all peoples. And also that He gathers us in a local congregation where we experience the communion of the saints. The Spirit does that in the church. But now think about the connection between the forgiveness of sins and the church. It's in the church where Christ has gathered us. Where we hear God declare to us our forgiveness. It's in the church that this takes place. If a member were to separate himself from the church, live apart from the church, be excommunicated by the church, then the Spirit does not speak the word of forgiveness to that person. It's in the church, under the preaching, with the administration of the sacraments, the means of grace that the Spirit causes His people to enjoy forgiveness. The Spirit who gives forgiveness ensures that we are members of His church. Thus we confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, and about that Holy Spirit, I believe an holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. They're interconnected. Consider with me the doctrine of this forgiveness of sins under the theme believing the forgiveness of sins. First, that forgiveness... Second, the basis of that forgiveness. And then finally, the faith. Believing that forgiveness. We confess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe the forgiveness of sins. That is a confession of our faith in God who forgives. But more than that, implied first of all, is a confession of sin. To understand forgiveness, you see, you need to understand your sins. You and I cannot value forgiveness. We cannot be thrilled with forgiveness. We will get tired of hearing about forgiveness unless we're first reminded of our 
sins and the seriousness of sins. Many churches today don't want to talk about sins, but we must. It is what God's Word shows us about ourselves. So briefly, first consider with me the Catechism's explanation of our sins. The Catechism forces us, first of all, to confess our sins personally. Individually, even. Notice it says, my sins. That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins. Neither my corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long. See how personal the catechism is. Whose sins are we talking about? The catechism does not allow us to shift the attention to someone else. It doesn't ignore other people's sins. Don't misunderstand. But it says, no, focus on my sins. It doesn't even say our sins so that we can include others, though there's truth to that. My sins. That's what we're talking about. That's the focus. At the sacrament of baptism today, we read in the form that we with our children are conceived and born in sin. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us. What does it teach us? Whereby the impurity of our souls is signified. And we admonish to loathe and humble ourselves before God. Beloved, and I speak to you as an individual, admonished, you are admonished to loathe and humble yourself as you think upon your sin, as I think upon my sin. Why does the child need to be washed? Why do you need to be washed? Because of dirt, spiritual dirt, my sin. There's so many ways in which we're distracted from that. When an elder rebukes you for your sin, you want to point to your family's sin or someone else's sin to divert the attention. Or vice versa, if a member were to approach an office bearer, point out his sins, we would also want to immediately react and point out another person's sins. That diversion is foolish because no one is really denying that others sin. The point is, each one of us must focus on mine. Recently, beloved, as an application here, there have been gross sins that have come to light. Not only in the world, many, many gross sins of a sexual nature often in the world, but gross sins have come to light in the church of Jesus Christ, even in Protestant Reformed churches. And while we must be warned and we must be shocked, there must be a shock factor to such sins. Even in the church, yet... Do not allow yourself, we may not allow ourselves to be so distracted by that that we don't remember what the Catechism speaks of here. My sins. For this is the faithful saying, the Gospel to me, worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So as we proceed through the rest of the sermon, beloved, I call you 
I call you to think about your sins, your concrete, your specific ones that you committed this past week and this weekend also. What are your sins? Your anger, your bitterness, your words. You spoke in sin against others in reaction perhaps to their sin against you. These, my sins, are serious. The Catechism emphasizes personal sins, but it also points us to the seriousness of those sins. It points out that those sins are in the plural. There are many. We can speak of sin, singular, but we can speak of sins. Many, 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 many actual sins. Psalter 110 It's a versification of Psalm 40. This is what God's people confess about themselves. For countless, countless ills have compassed me. My sinful deeds arise. Yea, they have overtaken me. I dare not raise my eyes. My sins are more than I can count. My heart has failed for grief. Be pleased, O Lord, to rescue me. O haste to my relief. Many. Not only many, but the catechism, remember, tells us about the character of sin. What is sin? Here's a definition. 1 John 3, verse 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. And in hearing that, you might think, well, it doesn't sound so bad. Until you think a little bit more. What is the law? We read it this morning. The law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this obedience to the law is it's not this. I don't love so well. I have a lack of love. But the striking character of sin is this. I hate instead of love. I hate God and my neighbor. That's what sin is. Sin is not a trifle. It's not a slip up. It's not a mistake. It's an attack. A hateful attack is an enemy against God. And then think about how sin is what we as you as a covenant child of God commit. And the the reprobate in this world They don't have the love of God. And yes, they sin against God and His goodness. But we, we are the elect. We are those whom God has poured forth love upon. And we sin against His grace and provoke Him to His face. That's the character of our sin. We hate the God who loves us. Prone by nature to hate God. Which brings us to what the Catechism reminds us about our sin as well. Not only are there many sins and the character is hatred against a God that we love, but sin is our nature. My corrupt nature, the Catechism says, against which I have to struggle all my life long. Yes, I struggle according to the new man in me. Thank God. There is a struggle. There is a struggle. And there's a struggle also because of an old man, though. Nevertheless, evil, 
corrupt, totally depraved, passed on to me from Adam and my parents to me. The child baptized this morning was conceived with that corrupt nature. And we all are conceived that way. The oldest of saints, if you talk to them, the most advanced in sanctification, we might say, cry out with loathing and disgust. I have a very small beginning. All my life long, I have and still have this sinful nature. As an application, beloved, that is not an excuse for sin. Sometimes we take the doctrine of our totally depraved, sinful nature, and we use it as an excuse for sin. We sort of grin about it. Yeah, that was my sinful nature. That sinful nature is part of who you are. It's not something apart from you that we can blame. Oh, wretched man, Paul says, that I am. According to that sinful nature, I am a sinner. I don't just have sins. But God forgives. I believe we confess in the Apostles' Creed the forgiveness of sins. My sin. My sin. All the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole is forgiven. Forgiven. Washed away. Forgiveness is the saving activity of God with His mind and with His mouth. I distinguish two steps. I don't separate them, but I distinguish two steps in God's forgiveness. It's helpful to distinguish them with His mind and with His mouth. First of all, God's forgiveness is that which He has in His mind. That's how the Catechism explains forgiveness on the basis of Jeremiah 31 that we read. Jeremiah 31-34. Catechism is using the language there to explain forgiveness. That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins. Let that soak in. Contemplate on that. God, for Jesus' sake, no more remembers my sins. That's the activity of God's mind. That He does not remember, does not refer to some sort of holy amnesia due to some weakness of mind. When we think about forgetting or not remembering, we think of the weakness of our minds, forgetting our keys somewhere, forgetting someone's name, forgetting what we were taught in Catechism 20 years ago. It's not an inability to recall a fact that we're speaking about here. In fact, God remembers the facts of all our sins and will one day on Judgment Day recall them 
He's able to remember in that sense. So what does it mean that God will remember my sin no more? This activity is not due to the weakness of mine, as our forgetting is, but this activity of God is due to the strength of God's mind. It's His mysterious, amazing ability and grace to take the guilt of our sins in particular and push them out of His mind so as to think of us as without any sin. It's a removal from His thinking about us of the condemnation and the guilt of sin. So that as Numbers 23 verse 21 puts it, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath He seen perverseness in Israel. He looks upon me just as if, Lord's Day 23, I never had had nor committed any sin. That's forgiveness in God's mind. That's forgiveness He has in His mind toward us and our children. That which He declares at baptism. But it's not only an activity of His mind. Forgiveness is also that which He speaks with His mouth. That's forgiveness too. Forgiveness, you see, God doesn't keep to Himself. He doesn't say, I forgive them in my mind, but I'll, I'll let them go on throughout life unaware of that forgiveness, living in doubt of that, living in doubt, fearing all their life that they will be condemned, not knowing that forgiveness. No. This is part of God's forgiveness. He speaks to His people. That's what God is doing in Jeremiah 31. He is telling His people, I remember your sin no more. Romans 3.25, this is forgiveness, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins. This remembers what Jesus did again and again through His earthly ministry. The people came to Him for the healing of their physical sicknesses and Jesus did heal them. He had compassion on them. But He gave to them what they needed more, he said to many of them who came to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that's what made the Pharisees and the Sadducees full of anger and wrath, because only God can do such a thing. Do you hear him? This same Jesus speak to you. Those specific sins. The ones you confessed in prayer. The ones at the beginning of the sermon I exhorted you to think about. My sins. As you look to God, to His Son Jesus Christ, He declares to you, even on this Sunday morning, my sins I remember no more. Cast them to the depths of the sea and remove them as far as the east is from the west. Though they are as scarlet, I wash you so that you are whiter than the snow outside. He says that to his people. At baptism, you heard the name Asher John, 
I baptize you. There was a real baptism of the child by that name. But you were supposed to think about your name. Do that. I baptize you. A sign and a seal. That I remember your sin no more. It's precious to the child of God. He needs it. And God's people say, I believe. I believe. Such forgiveness of sins. For the sake of Jesus Christ. That's the basis. For the sake of Christ's satisfaction, the catechism says, God will not remember my sins. Regarding the basis, the catechism also says, will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Notice now with those statements of the catechism that when the catechism talks about the basis of forgiveness, it refers to two distinct ideas, not separate again, but two distinct ideas of Christ's suffering for the forgiveness of our sins, but also the catechism speaks of Christ's obedience, living a righteous life for the forgiveness of our sins. Theologians call it Christ's passive obedience, that's the suffering for the satisfaction of our sins, as well as Christ's active obedience, His righteous life, obeying God's law. The Catechism refers first to satisfaction for Christ's satisfa- for the sake of Christ's satisfaction. Christ suffered enough. That's what the word satisfaction means. He suffered enough. He with His passion, that is with His suffering all His life, and especially during the last days of His life, and on that accursed cross, He suffered Enough. He suffered the fullness of God's wrath against your sins and my sins. His people's sins. All the punishment. All of it that was due us. He took upon Himself so that when He said, it is finished, He spoke truth. He satisfied God's justice against our sins. God had made Him sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That is the legal basis for our forgiveness. That is why God in His mind remembers our sins no more. And that is why on that basis of Christ's work, He speaks to you. I forgive you. For the sake of Christ's satisfaction. But there's more. More to Christ's finished work that we sometimes don't think of and often forget. That is His active obedience. The catechism says the holy and righteous life of Christ. It refers to the righteousness of Christ. That too is the basis of our forgiveness. But will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ. Think about that. 
Christ throughout his life not only suffered, he did, but while he was suffering at the same time was obeying. While his own father was pouring upon him wrath, hell, Christ Jesus was obeying that Father, loving that Father with perfect love. That's amazing. He loved the Lord as God with all His heart, mind, soul, and strength. We hate. That's our sin. He loved. He was wholly devoted to God without any pride, utter selflessness, with perfect meekness and compassion. He had true doctrine. Perfect doctrine. And perfect life and behavior to adorn that doctrine. He was truth. He is truth. He is holy. He was a perfect office bearer. A perfect preacher, a perfect elder, a perfect minister of mercy. He was zealous in all good works. In the worst of temptations, he obeyed. He prayed. He kept God's word and spoke God's word. As many sins as we have, so many good works has he done and more. And don't forget, we have a corrupt nature. He had a perfectly pure human nature without any blemish, without any spot. We do well to marvel at our beautiful Savior. But more, to marvel at this. That all of His perfections, all of His good works, all of His obedience, all of His holiness, and even His holy your nature is judged as ours, is imputed to us. So that God not only says, I remember not your sins, but He says, I remember something. I remember all, every single one of Christ's works that you might be unaware of. More even than what's written in the Scriptures. All of Christ's works. I remember all of that as yours. As yours. That is the amazing forgiveness of God. Imputed to us. What He has in His mind and that which He declares to His people with His mouth on the basis of Christ's work. And that which the Catechism says will never change, so that I will never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Those of His elect people, those whom Christ died for, never condemned before the tribunal of God. You hear by faith that you are righteous, that you're forgiven today, 
then you may know that judgment never changes. Not tomorrow. Not on the last day. The same judgment will be yours. Perfectly righteous. Just as if you had never sinned. And just as if. You had done everything Christ did. This is the Gospel. But God speaks today in His Word and with the sacrament. And we're called to believe. To believe. The Catechism is explaining the truth of the Holy Spirit. Remember? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ which takes the Word. The explanation of Christ. His perfect righteousness and suffering. The explanation of forgiveness. And the call to believe. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works that faith in your hearts. He does for each of His people so that you hear Christ by His Spirit very really say, I forgive you. He does so in His church. That's the context, remember. Can the Spirit speak that forgiveness to God's people even when they are apart from the church? He can. He can. He can with the reading of the Word and as God's people think upon the Gospel. He can. And He does at times speak that forgiveness. But normally, the Spirit chooses to use the means of grace in the church, the preaching of the Gospel, the sacraments, which are the secondary means to speak that forgiveness, to strengthen the faith of God's people so that they know that they are forgiven. When there is a willful separation from God's house, an intentional or sinful absenting from the church of God, or excommunication due to impenitent sin, then God is silent regarding that forgiveness. Doubts will rise. There will be a spiraling downward into self-justification. The constant self-justification, sadly, is often evidence of a soul not at peace with God's forgiveness. May God's people come to church. May God's people repent of their particular sins as they come to church. And may the Spirit in the church declare the Word of Christ and remember your sins no more. May God's people believe by the power of that Spirit and with His Word. Trust Him. Trust Him. Satan would bring up in your conscience again and again all your sins. Your besetting sins even. 
that you know you will struggle against tomorrow, today even. People in life are going to bring up your sins again to judge you, spread rumors even about you, both with regard to behavior and doctrine. They will say to you, you're not forgiven. Don't try to justify yourself before others. Rest. Rest. In the forgiveness of your God and Jesus Christ alone. There is something called false guilt. There is such a thing where Satan will accuse you falsely. And you will feel guilty about something that is not your sin. And yet often tied up with false guilt, Satan will mix in truth about your sin. And sometimes it becomes very difficult for the child of God to discern what is false guilt and what is true fault. Lean. Just lean upon Jesus Christ for forgiveness of all your guilt that which you can discern and that which you cannot. Trust in Him. Remember the Word. Remember your baptism. And out of faith, a calling, forgive one another. I believe you say, I believe the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And I said the connection, one connection, is that it's in the church where the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ declares forgiveness to you. There's another connection between forgiveness of sins and the church. That all the saints, all the saints, who know their forgiveness by faith, part of the communion of saints. Forgive one another. Can't really have the enjoyment of the communion of saints without the forgiveness of sins. God's people who know their forgiveness in the church will be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Out of thankfulness for God's full and free forgiveness, there will be forgiveness to one another. Knowing that God thinks upon your fellow saint, meaning of saints, as holy, perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ, we forgive them as God has forgiven. With the mind, with the mind we forgive even sometimes before they confess to us. And then when there is confession, not before confession, but in the way of confession of sin, we with the mouth express it. I forgive you. Where God's people know God's forgiveness, they will forgive. Oh, I am aware I'm preaching this. 
I am aware of impenitent abusers. They are such who use the doctrine of forgiveness as a tool of manipulation. I am aware of that. That such men will demand of their victims forgiveness so that they might, as master pretenders of being repentant, guilt their victims into forgiveness so that they may continue their wicked work. God may judge them and God will judge them. True repentance needs to take place. True repentance before such forgiveness. But having said that, let the church never neglect this beautiful doctrine. Knowing, believing God's free forgiveness of us gross sinners. And then taking that gospel and reflecting it in the communion of saints and the forgiveness of each other. May the Spirit, with His Word in this church, so strengthen our faith in this forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations. Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day Sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.